0: It's time for the Appleseed, where we believe that great stories can change your family's world. I'm Sam Payne, your host, and we had some fun with our opening theme music because we think this episode deserves a little fanfare. The Appleseed has been bringing great stories to you and your family for ten years now, and we're celebrating a bit. <laughs> For a landmark episode like this, we called up some of the storytelling friends of the show. And imagine how fun it was for us when we called the great West Virginia storyteller Bill Lepp to thank him for his longtime support of the Appleseed and to hear him say this back to us.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, we all owe big thanks to you too, Sam. I don't know that this was necessarily just your brainchild, but this is definitely something that people associate with you and, and with BYU Radio. And, uh, um, it's been great for all of us. And
0: so to have you steering this thing or originating this thing, whatever it was, I mean, it's, we owe a big, big thanks to you as well. No, oh, it felt great to hear that from Bill. And in today's episode, we're going to bring you some tales from just a few of the storytellers that have blessed us with their stories over 10 years of the Appleseed. You know, in the beginning, the Appleseed was a collaboration between BYU Radio and the Ashton Family Foundation, supporters of storytelling all over the country. We'll always be grateful to the Ashtons and to the storytellers that became part of the Appleseed family. Storytellers like the wonderful North Carolina storyteller Donald Davis, who, like the Ashtons, has supported storytelling across the country for decades and decades. Getting ready for this celebration, I reflected with Donald on the idea that sometimes it's the simple everyday stories that connect with us the most
2: that's
3: one reason that i think the very best stories are not about the weird things not about the one of a kind things but they're about the things that are so common when we hear that story we've lived a version of it you know if if i heard an astronaut tell about you know, going to the moon—it would be interesting to hear one time, but I would make no connection with it. It makes no connection to me. But tell me a story about a bike wreck when you're 12 years old, and I'm wrecking my bike right beside you and re- and reliving the whole thing, or a story of a pet, a story of a you know of a, a disappointing relative, a story of someone who. Promised you something and then broke their promise. You know, the just those ordinary human things, the most
0: human things.
3: The, here come the stories. They just come right and left all over the place.
0: Donald Davis. And now, how about a story from Donald? Here's one recorded live in the Appleseed Studio. It's about Donald's Uncle Frank. Let's see if you can see a little of yourself or someone you know in this story too. Here's Donald. <laughs>
3: Do you happen to have somebody in your family who tells the stories from the family? In my family growing up, the great storyteller was my Uncle Frank, and I was always amazed at the stories he would tell. He could turn anything into a story, and besides that, he often provoked stories into happening. (laughs) One afternoon, we were home, and Uncle Frank came up to our house. Now, he was a farmer. But when he showed up that afternoon, he was all dressed up like he had been to church and it wasn't even Sunday. And my daddy said, Frank, where are you going? All dressed up like that. He said, Joe, I've already been. I've been to Guy Chambers' funeral. And as soon as he said that, he just burst out laughing. (laughs) My daddy said, you've been to a funeral? what's so funny about going to a funeral? And Uncle Frank just laughed some more. He said, it was so good, it was worth having God die just to get to go to that funeral. (laughs) And then he just laughed all over again and I knew a story was coming. Well, here was the story as it began to unfold. Uncle Frank always liked to be the first person to get anywhere. And he had gone very early up to the old country church where the cemetery was behind the church on the hilltop. And when he pulled up into that parking lot, do you know what? There was a pickup truck already there. He was not first. But he got out, and when he looked around to see who got there before he did, it was the gravedigger. The grave digger had come the day before and dug the grave. But then he had come back early before the funeral to be sure that everything was just fine and everything was in order. And about that time, here came the gravedigger running down the hill from the cemetery, jumping up and down, waving his arms in the air, hollering, stop the funeral, stop the funeral, stop the funeral. Uncle Frank said, we can't stop the funeral. A guy went ahead and died. (laughs) What's the matter? And the gravedigger said, something terrible has happened. He said, I dug the grave yesterday. And during the night, a great big skunk fell in the grave. <laughs> and there's a skunk down in the grave going around and around and around. <laughs> and Uncle Frank said, so what? If anybody knows Guy, they know he and the skunk could get along together just fine. <laughs> but they had to do something to deal with that. Well, Uncle Frank walked with the gravedigger back up on the hill to where the grave was, looked down, and sure enough, that skunk was going round and round and round. But by now, he had noticed a few things about the gravedigger, and he thought, there may be some possibilities. (laughs) So he looked at the gravedigger, and he said, now, let's think about this for a moment. He said, let's suppose that skunk were up here with us, right here standing beside us, and it wanted to squirt us. What is the last thing it would have to do before it could spray? And the gravedigger thought, and then he said, I know, it'd have to lift up its tail. And Uncle Frank said, that is right. Now think about this. A skunk has enough muscles in its tail to lift up its tail, right? But if you should pick a skunk up by the tail, It doesn't have enough muscles in its tail to lift its whole body, and you have it locked shut. And then he said to the grave digger, he said, now, I would do this first part, but I hurt my leg, and I can't jump down in there. (laughs) But if you'll jump down in the grave and grab that skunk by the tail and pick it up and lock it shut and hand it up here to me, I'll carry it over there into the woods, and we can go right on with the funeral." My daddy said, Frank, what happened after that? And Uncle Frank said, you don't smell anything, do you? (laughs) We did it. That man jumped down in there and he grabbed that skunk by the tail and picked it up and the skunk was hollering and, and waving its little legs all around, but it couldn't squirt him. So I figured if it couldn't squirt him, it can't squirt me. So I got it by the tail and carried it over and tossed it over the fence and it ran off in the woods and guys in the ground without a skunk. (laughs) Well, let me tell you something. We have a grandson who is 10 years old, and his name is Frank. And Frank is named for his actually great uncle, Frank, because his daddy loved those stories about Uncle Frank so much, so much, that when he had a little boy, he named his little boy. He and his wife named his little boy after his favorite Uncle Frank. But you know what's odd about that? Kelly, our son, who gave his little boy that name, his Uncle Frank died about five years before he was born. So he doesn't actually remember him. But he's heard so many stories that he believes he really knew Uncle Frank. And isn't that the magical thing about storytelling? If we tell the family stories, we can keep people alive long after they've gone from this world. And that's a very, very magical thing to do.
0: to include a story by our friend Lynn Ford in today's episode, a story called Big Fish. Lynn believes a story like this can help teach you how to live. We agree, and we asked her more about it. She told us that this story held a big lesson for her as a child.
4: Because I like being the big fish in the story. I liked being the one who bragged and boasted and thought he was the best looking. There was a rhythm to it and I loved that rhythm. But after a while I was also the other characters in the story, I realized that the turtle was trying to give some sound advice very slowly but some very sound advice and I realized that other critters in that pond really didn't want to be bothered with that big fish for all his bragging and his boasting um, nobody particularly cared for him and I think that started to set in for me and I realized that the personality of the big fish was not conducive to making friends to getting support to using common sense, really. The common sense was coming from that slow turtle. So after a while, in my own childish mind, I became that turtle. Every story has something in it that we can learn if we're open, open open-minded, open-hearted.
0: Here's the story now. Big Fish, told for you by Lynn Ford.
4: I do remember a couple of the stories that great-grandma and my great-pops, my great-grandfather would tell. And I didn't know at the time that they were teaching tales. One of those stories had to do with me being kind of biggity. Anybody ever been biggity? Biggity is when you got your toot on. You know you are the best, the finest, the most loved. You carry that attitude around with you and you know you're going to get in trouble because not many folks in the family, not many elders are gonna put up with that. Well, my great pop sat me down. He said, I'm gonna tell you a story about a fish. I said, another one you told me about a fish. But there's more than one fish, child. (laughs) I'm gonna tell you another story about a fish. Now this fish called himself the big fish because he was the biggest fish in the little pond. you understand? And so he thought he was better than everybody else. He would tease the little frogs, tease the little turtles, tease the little fish. He'd even sing to them. Now, when I stop and put up one finger, you say bloop. (laughs) He would sing I'm the big fish. I'm the big bad fish. I'm the big fish. And I'm better than you. I'm the big fish, I'm the big bad fish, I'm the biggest, I'm the baddest, and I'm good-looking, too. And he would swim around bragging like that. Well, one little turtle told him one day, Mr. Big Fish, that's rude. And one day you're gonna get in trouble. Well, you know what the fish did. Uh uh-uh. uh. Cause I'm the big fish. Boop. I'm the big bad fish. Boop. I'm the big fish. Boop. And I'm better than you. Boop. I'm the big fish. I'm the big bad fish, I'm the biggest, I'm the baddest, and I'm good looking too. Well that little turtle just swam away, figured life teaches lessons, and sure enough it did. Next thing they knew, clouds were rolling by in the sky, growing bigger and bigger and darker and darker, and a soft mist began to fall, but it turned into heavy drops that turned into a hard rain that poured down from the sky and filled that pond, and the water rose and rose and rose until it met a stream that had become a small creek, and that creek turned into a little river that brought things from what used to be a pond down that river into a big lake. Now, when the rain stopped, some of those critters went back to their pond because that's where they felt comfortable. But big fish looked around. (laughs) (laughs) This is where I should be because this is a big body of water and I'm a big bad fish I'm the big fish and behind him he heard somebody say you sure are you're a nice big fish and we'd like to have you for dinner and Big Fish thought, oopsie, look at there, I've already made my mark. Somebody wants to invite me to dinner. And he turned around and looked, and there were two of the biggest catfish he had ever seen, grinning at him, licking their lips, and moving toward him, talking about, we want to eat ya, not feed ya. <laughs> Big fish said, bloop. And he turned around and swam as fast as he could back up that stream to that little pond. And he stayed there, too. And he didn't brag anymore. Because he just wasn't sure if those two big catfish were going to figure out where he'd come from and come looking for him. It's good to know your own gifts and to be proud of yourself. But you have to be careful about your bragging. Because You might get yourself in trouble. And that's the story
0: of a big fish. Lynn Ford with Big Fish, a story recorded live right here in the Appleseed Studio. Now, since we're celebrating today, we reached out to the great Georgia storyteller, Andy Offutt-Irwin, who has so many talents, it's hard to put them all in one little box. He's a terrific storyteller, the creator of the Aunt Marguerite stories, all about his fictional Aunt Marguerite and the world of colorful characters in which she lives. He's also a world-class whistler. you got to kind of hear it to believe it and he's a heck of a songwriter and musician to boot. And it's all on display right here in a song Andy wrote just for us on the 10th anniversary of The Appleseed. Ladies and gentlemen, Andy Offit-Irwin.
5: From the family car driver's seat, it's been decreed that it's time to listen to the apple seed. Take off those headphones from on top of your hair. We will listen together and we will all share. listening to stories. Because when we listen concurrently, our minds all meld closer together And we're propelled to places familiar and places of fable We keep talking about it at the supper table Yeah, While the conversation is guaranteed When we listen to stories on the apple seed Whether we're tooling around in that minivan or sitting together on the sofa divan, from our Philco radio or our smart speaker, the story gets richer and we're drawn in deeper. We partake together. We're made more whole, stirred together in that mixing bowl. Simultaneously laughing, we're all agreed that we love, love, love the apple seed. And now we're uh, up for those traditional storytelling fairy tale fans. We have this little section. Because we hear that story and it springs a spring of recollection. And then we talk and sing our very own stories that we love. Hey, you know what? That makes me think of That time your grandpa, your grandma too When I was exactly the same age as you At that strange place that's secret and weird Or it was familiar But I was afeard cause something happened We were in a fix Our house was straw when it should have been bricks Oh, tell me some more Okay, I'll proceed with my story Inspired by the apple seed Kelly, get back in here, we gotta play again The pretty music You ready? We share like nobody's business, one after the other. These reminiscences join our aforementioned brains, enriching our souls. And that explains why we're closer together by what's been told. Listening to narrative arcs unfold. So if you're hungry for stories, come and feed from the fruit of the tree of the apple seed. It'll have us all climbing that family tree when we share together the apple seed.
0: Oh, we love that song. I mean, what's not to love, right? It captures everything that's important to us about sharing stories on the Appleseed. The idea of sharing stories together on road trips and around kitchen tables and about the power of stories to spark memories and thoughts for us that we can share with the people we love. Those storytelling memories are the kind that last a lifetime. And we're so delighted by that musical love letter from our friend Andy. Thanks, Andy. Lots more coming up on this special 10th anniversary episode of The Appleseed. <laughs> It's such a pleasure for me to be with you for these great storytellers today. And up next, a memory we love. Our Ohio friend, Kim White early in the days of the show, did a storytelling performance at the Timpanoga Storytelling Festival in Utah. Now, Kim performs often at that festival, but this performance was special to us. She invited the Appleseed to interview her during her performance in front of her audience. Here's just a moment from that long-ago interview. So much of the music that you make gets performed on stages like this for audiences, but a lot of it gets made just in the quiet of your own home, in the quiet of your own heart. Yes. Right? Yeah. Do you find yourself alone with some of the thoughts of your father? Oh, and some of those, all the time. Some of those people that are oh, in instrumental in the making. You mean of
6: the music? like people? Oh, I mean, there's people. always voices in my head, Sam. <laughs> okay, like it's an issue. We're good. Gonna- <laughs> okay. I'm never alone. I mean, I will just, yeah, there's always someone there, but I will say this without getting emotional. I'm gonna try. My dad, I can always feel, yeah. (laughs) I always feel my dad's presence at my back. It's just a constant source of comfort.
0: It was sweet to be on stage with Kim talking about such dear things, but it wasn't all talk on the stage that day. We made a lot of music too. Here's a tune from Kim, a heartfelt tribute to all of the influences on her stories and songs.
6: Well, I've been told that I'm made of sugar and spice. Everything's sweet and everything nice. But I know there's more to my DNA. Oh, and I feel it every day. I am the love in my mother and father's eyes. I am the fire that holds the stars in the sky. I am the footsteps of my ancestors before. That's what I'm made of and more. what I'm made of I am the sweat upon my daddy's brow Before that's what I'm made of, and more. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's what I'm made.
0: Kim White Camp at the Timpanogos Storytelling Festival. The other musicians on stage that day included Kim's husband Danny on bass, Ryan Shoup on the fiddle, and I played along too. What a great memory that is. Up next, we've been fans for a long time of Diane Ferlat, who lives in California, but she tells stories all over the world. And we talked to her about how hearing a story in the authentic voice of the culture to which the story belongs can build bridges between people, sometimes in kind of an uncommon way. Here's Diane.
7: Storytelling bridges people in a different way. I was telling stories at a high school, and usually high school students would just say, you know, wave, wave at you or they might clap. But they were coming up to me and said, hey, you were great. And these were mainly uh, white students. And one young man shook my hand and, and said, can you come back? I said, oh, yes, I, I hope so. And as he was saying goodbye, the vice principal says, Diane, Come here, come here, come here. I said, yes, yes, what is it? That young man that just wanted you to come back, he's the most racist kid in this school. He's always been suspended for, like, wearing racist things on his shirt and on his hat, and his father's a member of the Klan. And I said, what? I said, well, something happened there. I don't know what happened, but I guess if you never hear stories from the horse's mouth, You've seen the horse. You know, you know. You heard stories from somebody else about the horse, but you never heard <laughs> the stories from the horse's mouth. I guess it makes a difference when you actually hear it from people you
0: don't know nothing about. Here's Diane forlat with a story now. Recorded live in the Appleseed studio, the story is called Ham Bone, and it's just the kind of story only Diane could tell.
7: Repeat after me. Repeat after me. After me. Oh, good. <laughs> ham bone, ham bone, where you been? Hambone, bone, ham bone, where you been? Round the world and back again. Round the world and back again. Oh, ham bone, ham bone, where's your wife? Ham bone, ham
8: bone, where's your
7: wife? In the kitchen cooking rice. In the- Oh, Hambone, Hambone, where's your son? Hambone, Hambone, where's your son? Down at the lake, having fun. Down at the lake, having fun. Hambone, Hambone, where's your daughter? Hambone, Hambone, where's your daughter? Down at the lake, swimming in the water. Down at the lake, swimming in the water. Hambone, Hambone, where you been? Hambone, Hambone, where you been? Nowhere. Nowhere, 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 nowhere. Come on, nowhere nowhere, 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 nowhere. A long, long, long time ago, my ancestors were enslaved in America. And they had to live in tiny little shacks, sometimes with dirt floors, and sometimes no windows. And the people who owned them, lived in big, fine mansions with beautiful flower gardens, fruit trees, with a screened-in porch where they could sit when it got hot. And when they had dinner on their table, oh, just stacked with food. And one time, they had a great big old ham on the table, and they ate every bit of that ham. Then they took that ham bone and gave it to guess who? The slaves. Now the slaves weren't allowed to read or to write, right? But just because they didn't know how to read or write, didn't mean they weren't smart. They looked at that ham bone and they said, the three most important words in African American culture. They said, mm, mm, hmm. What can we do with this? You know what they did? They took that ham bone, and dropped it in their beans to give their beans flavor. Took the ham bone out, gave it to their neighbor, put it in their beans to give their beans flavor. Took the ham bone out, gave it to their neighbor, put it in their beans to give their beans flavor. Took the ham bone out, put it in their beans to give their beans flavor. But that old hambone went from shack to shack to shack to shack, and that's where that song comes from. Hambone, hambone, where you been? Round the world and back again. But back then, that was the only world they knew. And by passing that hambone from shack to shack to shack, they were creating something—a community. Hmm? A community. It's the same with stories. When we pass our stories one to another, we are creating something. A community. Where we know each other, we connect with each other. If you don't know anybody black, listen to their stories. Know anybody that's from from Japan, talk to them. Listen to their stories. Nobody from India, talk to them. Learn about their stories. That's what I like about traveling. Because the world is a book, they say. If you never travel, only seen one page. But we can travel through stories. Oh, Hambone, Hambone, where you been? Hambone, Hambone, where you been? Round the world and back again. Round the
9: world and back
7: again. Story, story, where you been? Story, story, where you been? Round the world and back again. Round the world and back again. Yeah. Talk to people, listen to their stories, especially somebody different from you. You learn a lot. Yeah. <laughs>
0: <Woo>! <laughs> Diane Frelat with ham bone here on the Appleseed. How about a story now from our old friend, Antonio Sacre. Antonio lives in L.A., and when I asked him what storytelling has taught him, he told me he's learned that everyone has a story. And I asked him to elaborate on that a bit. Here's Antonio. Just last week, a rude driver zoomed across my lane,
8: nearly hitting my front bumper. It was a typical annoying move by a typical annoying Los Angeles driver at rush hour, And my first reaction was to lay on my horn and give him a really mean face. But I didn't because I didn't know his story. Storytelling has taught me that there is always a story. And if you just take the time to listen or imagine, you might get at some truth that changes the way you feel and the way you act. What if? What if he had to rush to the hospital to see his sick child? What if... He was a surgeon getting a text that he had to report to the emergency room to save somebody's life. What if he were a storyteller late for a gig and a bunch of unruly third graders were sitting in a cafetorium waiting for him to brighten their day or at least get them out of math class? What if he was just a jerk L.A. driver nearly causing a car crash? I didn't know. But I do know that when I imagined one story about that driver, I felt better. And when I imagined a different story, I felt worse. Storytelling has taught me that if I don't know the real story, I can use my imagination to tell a story that makes me kinder and more patient. And when I'm able to access that magic, the world,
0: for me, at least, is a better place. Antonio Sacre. And here's one of Antonio's personal stories. It's from a collection called Water Torture, The Barking Mouse, and Other Tales of Wonder. This story... Is called Battling Giants.
8: When I first started storytelling, I met a teacher who told me that he believed that storytelling could save the world. My first reaction was like, okay, whatever. (laughs) But when I began to think about it, I began to realize it made some sense. Because if you know somebody's story, it's harder to hate that person. And if I know your story, you become like a brother or a sister to me. And if you become like a brother or sister to me, I'm gonna fight for you really hard. When I was in fourth grade, the class bully was named Larry Sargent. He was held back two years because he was so stupid or that's what everybody thought. And one day at recess, we were playing kickball. He was picking on Binky Minor, the smallest kid in the class. Larry was like 5'10". Binky was like 4'11". It just looked so silly. Now, Larry had picked on everybody in the class, and it was just Binky's turn. But something that day made me step between them. And I looked up at Larry, and I said, Larry, it, you, should, you should pick on someone your own size. And now everybody stopped playing. All eyes turned to me. And all of a sudden, I got sort of full of all that attention. And I said, yeah, you should pick on someone your own size. And Larry looked down at me and said, okay. Picked me up like the bean pole that I was and slammed me onto the ground. I said, ah, all the air went out of my body. When that air finally came back, I said the worst thing I could think of. I said, you jerky, jerky, jerk, jerk. And we started hitting each other. And just then the teachers came and broke it up and we got major detentions. Major detentions meant that that day after school, we had to sit in a classroom and look out the window and think about what we had done. I sat after school and looked out the window and I thought I am a hero. I stood up to the class bully, even though I got my butt kicked. But Larry was looking out the window and I saw that he was starting to cry. I said, ah, Larry's a sissy. I can't wait to tell everybody Larry's crying. But then I looked and he started to cry real tears. And soon his shoulders started to sob up and down. And I said, Larry, what? what's wrong? And he said, this is my fifth major detention. It means now I get kicked out of school. And I said, yeah, I got the class fully kicked out of school. I said, yeah, but he still was crying. I said, what's the matter? He said, that means my dad is going to beat me up. And that made no sense to me. I said, well, what do you mean? You, wait a minute. You, you mean you're just going to get grounded? That happens to me when I get in trouble. I get grounded. He said, uh-uh. My dad's going to hit me in my face with his fists, then keep me out of school until my bruises heal, and then put me in another school. That's why I'm so far behind in school. And I was so ashamed that I was the one to send Larry home to a beating from his father. And if I had that moment on the playground again, I would not have picked a fight with Larry. The older I get, the more I think about what my teacher said. And I don't know if storytelling can save the world, but I do know that if I knew Larry's story, it would have been impossible for me to hate him.
0: Antonio Sacre with Battling Giants. There's a lot more coming up as we celebrate 10 years of the Appleseed. I'm Sam Payne. such a pleasure to be with you for stories from just a few of the beloved storytellers we've been able to bring to the Appleseed in our first decade, a decade, man, that's fun to say. In the first few years of the show, we did a lot of interviews with storytellers about their work. They were all fantastic conversations and a few moments from those interviews have stuck with me, taught me about the power of great storytelling and great storytellers. And I'd like to share three of those memorable conversation moments with you. And the first one is from the great Chicago storyteller Sid Lieberman. Sid is no longer with us. He passed away in 2015 and his conversation with us may have been one of the last long radio conversations he had we talked about all sorts of things, but I was curious for him to tell me uh, some things about a story he had been commissioned to write and that he worked on with his wife, Adrian. a story about the Battle of Gettysburg in which Sid focused on two historical characters, one that everybody knows about, Abraham Lincoln, and one that hardly anybody knows about, a soldier named Isaac Taylor. Here's just a little bit of what Sid said.
10: We did a story, my wife and I, on Abraham Lincoln and the Gettysburg Address. Yes. It's yeah. called Abraham and Isaac Sacrifice at Gettysburg. We follow Lincoln and a soldier, Isaac Taylor, for a year and a half. And then he dies at Gettysburg. And, you know, after we finished the story, we went to Gettysburg. We walked the field where he was killed. And, you know, I, it was so moving. Yeah. But even more moving, we went to his grave. Now, when they buried him, they didn't know who he was. The grave is marked unknown. Hmm. Subsequently, they found out. And so they, they could direct us to the grave. But in a national monument, when something is carved in stone, you can't change it. Right. So I'm standing there in the graveyard, and I'm looking at that stone. And I said to myself, unknown? Hmm. Wow, I know so much about him. And then I looked up, and in front of me was a sea of unknowns, a sea of unknowns. And I, I finally realized, I kind of knew this all the time, but this, is a, this brought it home. What I'm doing with my storytelling is I'm witnessing. I witnessed for Isaac Taylor and what he went through, witnessed for Lincoln in that year and a half. And when I talk about my family, I'm witnessing for myself and for them, and that's really important, yeah. because life goes by so fast. You know, it's just gone. All these things are gone so quickly. But if you have a story, you've captured it. This is holy work for me. Yeah. And I pray before every, every session I get up that I will do justice to the pieces mm-hmm. I would do justice to the stories. I love
0: that moment with the great Sid Lieberman as he talks about the holy work of a storyteller to stand as witness for the people and events that he or she tells about. It's been very much in my mind as I've prepared stories myself for the stage or for the podcast. Just one great moment from a lot of great storytelling conversations we've been able to have over the last decade on the Appleseed. Now, Here's another memory, another snapshot from a great conversation with a storyteller. This is Ed Stivender, the wonderful storyteller from Philadelphia. The very first time I ever told a story on stage, I was opening for Ed Stivender. He's an important figure in my storytelling life. And you can imagine how much I looked forward to talking to him at a festival in the Bay Area, in California. We found a relatively quiet corner of the festival, and I asked him what impact he hoped his stories had on the audiences that heard him. I loved what he said. Here's Ed.
1: My intention in presenting anything to an audience is to give the audience a break to give the audience a break from their normal um, life, from the worries of their life, from the concerns that they bring with them into the room, into the festival, and if I can stand in front of them for 45 minutes or 10 minutes or two hours and um, distract them from their concerns and their worries, that really is my only intention. Whatever happens in the moment of storytelling is beyond my control in a sense. I try to suggest that the storyteller is not some magic magician or a shaman of a primitive culture who brings down power from the skies but that in the best situation the storyteller can be an occasion of grace. An occasion of grace is a spin on an old Catholic doctrine called occasion of sin occasion of sin in the Catholic tradition is a person, place, or thing which makes it easy for you to sin. It doesn't cause the sin, but it makes it easy for you to sin. I'd like to suggest that storytelling is an occasion of grace. Not that the storyteller is healing, not that the storyteller is bringing magic down from the skies, but the storyteller is offering a audience member a break from their life, a, 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 a way to Um, relax their mentality and their worry so that something else can happen in their system besides the worry. I don't cause it. I would like to give people a break. Whatever happens during that break, that's between the individual and their higher power, their Lord, their Father God, whatever it is. Ed Stivender, talking about storytelling
0: as an occasion of grace, about his work having as its purpose to provide a break from worry and care, a break in which something meaningful might happen. You can hear Ed from time to time on the show, and when you do, I bet you'll feel your burdens lifted. He's pretty good at it. I wanted to share one more moment of conversation that has been important to me over the years, and that I'm glad we have on tape. The storyteller is the great Bill Harley, the two-time Grammy award-winning storyteller. Uh, By the way, we're working with Bill on a terrific 15-part audio adventure called Quentin Manning, Detective for Justice, that we're pretty excited about, and that you can hear coming up in the summertime of 2024. We'll be sure and keep you posted about that. But in the meantime, I've always been amazed at how well Bill can speak for kids in his stories. It's not so much that he's speaking to kids, but rather that he's speaking as one of them, channeling all the kid energy that you remember from when you were a kid. I asked him about that. Here's Bill.
2: I look at the world, and I, if, if I have to throw my lot in with anybody, I would rather throw it in with the least Hmm. Um, you, you, the, the, the people who have less or the people who have less power and 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 I would like to be their voice and so I think my work the the calling that I have with kids and they 're still you know i 'm still doing work that's that 's adult too you know yeah, in the storytelling sure. world but but um I think my calling as far as that is is to speak. For children you know to to try to be their emotional voice and and to honor who they are, and so when I do that, you know when you take childhood seriously, a lot of stuff happens um, when when you value the experience and you say that this experience is valid, uh, kids know that, and the the better adults know it right away too. I still ask myself the question about what what message am I imparting it 's not like. Yeah, it's completely fine to pick your nose and rub it on your friend or, you know, or whatever. I would say that a concern for kindness under, underlies a lot of what my work is.
0: Yeah. Bill Harley talking about what happens when a storyteller takes childhood seriously. Three moments of conversation from among a lot of conversations with great storytellers that have enriched our experience with storytelling and maybe yours, too. You can hear stories from Sid Lieberman, Ed Stivender, and Bill Harley in a lot of episodes of the show, and they're easy to find wherever you get your podcasts or at byuradio.org. We've got one more story for you in today's special celebration of 10 years of the apple seed, And it's from the wonderful Minnesota storyteller, Kevin Kling. I asked Kevin what he had learned from a long career telling stories on stage. And he told me about how learning to tell the changing stories of our lives can heal us. Here's Kevin.
11: They did a study with students in Harvard back in the 30s. And they ended up going through the war. They did this study through their entire lives just catching up with them. And they found that in later life, the ones that were the most happy, the ones that sustained a a more stable relationships in life were the ones whose stories actually changed. And it's because they told them over and over and the stories slowly slid into their lives instead of the other way around. And I know post-traumatic stress is living the first day every day. You haven't gotten past that first story. And so I know that by telling my story, by living my story, it's, it's created a path for healing um, because it slowly turns into my vernacular. It turns into the way I see the world and something larger than myself uh, as now in my hands. Now I'm the one telling the story. And I had a girl in class one time said, in other words, if you don't tell your story, it will tell you. And I said, yeah, that's pretty much the way it's going to
0: go. Here's a tiny little story from Kevin now. It's called The Cracked Pot. This is a
9: story that my grandmother told me. And it's about the days when pots and pans could talk, which indeed they still do. And a man would go to the river every day and fill two pots with water and bring them home. Well, one day a small crack developed in one of the pots. And as time went on, that crack widened until by the time the man got home, all the water had leaked out of that pot. And so finally the pot turns to the man and says, please, every day you take me to the river and every day the water leaks out. Please replace me with another pot. And the man turned to the pot and he said, look down the trail. And the pot looked down the trail, and on the side of the trail with the pot that didn't have a crack, it was craggy and rocky and barren. But on the side of the path with the pot with the crack, wildflowers grew. And the man said, every day you water those flowers. Every day you make my difficult journey beautiful. I think I'm going to keep you. And with that, my grandmother would wrap her large German arms around me and say, I think I'll keep you. So those were the stories I got as a kid, and I'm sure that's why I became a storyteller. Thanks.
0: What a pleasure to have you with us for this special celebration of 10 years of stories on the Appleseed. The stories we brought you today are from just a few of the beloved tellers we've been blessed to work with in that first decade. If you want to hear more from our many storytelling friends, you'll just have to join us again. We hope you do. I'm Sam Payne. Join us again on the Appleseed.
1: I'm Don Shaline. This is Andy Bay. My
4: name is Deidrean.
1: Hey, this is Andre Marcus. My name is Brian Tanner. I'm Wendy Folsom. I was there at the start of the apple scene. As the first producer. From 2014 to 2017. From 2015 to about 2018. For two years now. And
4: I just joined the Appleseed team about five months ago. But I've been a long time listener.
1: My very first choice, my only choice to head that whole thing up, got to get Sam Payne. I learned
0: a lot from Sam and everybody else that I worked with when I was there. It was a happy time being immersed in stories. So much laughter and wonder and
1: magic.
0: Congratulations on 10 years of stories.
1: 10 years of phenomenal radio storytelling.
10: Congratulations, Appleseed. Or
1: 10 years of incredible
2: stories on the Appleseed.
10: The Appleseed is produced by Wendy Folsom, Sam
0: Payne, and Brian Tanner.
10: Our audio engineers are Ashton Parkinson and Carly Wilson. The rest of the Appleseed team is Kelly Wehrmeister,
1: Trent Horton,
10: Evadane Hendricks, Miriam Ayase,
1: and Tristan Schetzel.
5: A special thanks to the subscribers of our podcast who rate
8: us or leave reviews.
1: You help people find the show.
8: We also love to receive emails
4: at BYU.edu.
1: Your thoughts and comments help us to shape the future of the Appleseed.
4: We're pleased and proud to be among the many podcasts produced by the BYU Radio family.
0: And you can find episodes of The Appleseed wherever podcasts are found, on the BYU Radio app or at byuradio.org slash Appleseed. I'm Sam Payne, and the whole team can't wait to be with you again on The Appleseed.